This is Podco Media Networks. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Global Citizens, the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around doing something in the world. I'm Florence Adu, your host. And before we get started, I just want to apologize a little bit for the sound quality on our next podcast. We are in the Ides of Heat here in Accra. So climate control is of the utmost importance. So please pardon a little bit of background noise, but please continue to listen because we have a really good program up for you today. Thanks. Today, I'm really, 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 no. Yeah, you can tell I'm really excited. I'm very excited to be with my guest today. Her name is Val, Valerie Labi. She is the country director for IDE and so many other things. And I'll let her talk a little bit more about that. But thank you again for joining us, Val, and take it away. Tell us more about you and what you do. Okay, so thank you for having me. As you said, my name is Valerie Abinokonyo Labi Gundu Saptana the First. So okay. I'm a chief in Yendi. My chief title is Queen of Hygiene. Okay. And um, one of the reasons that I got that has been um, my focus since I moved back to Ghana. I guess my year of return was 2008, has been to build business models that address STGs. So water, sanitation, moving into agriculture, and I recently founded a company called Solar Taxi, which looks at accelerating Africa's transition to um, solar mobility. Oh, wow. Awesome. Wow. That's Solar Taxi. I like it. (laughs) Okay. So you are... As by your accent, we can tell that you grew up someplace else, but you're obviously here in Ghana. So tell us why the where. Why are you here in Ghana and where are you local? So I grew up in Hertfordshire in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, to refer to myself as imported Ghanaian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I said, I've been in Ghana 10 years. And it's interesting because a lot of people feel that they really planned coming back to the continent and those kind of things. But I think sometimes it's easier for people who've never lived here to come and make the country themselves. So I always say that um, sometimes those of us who are just born outside and our understanding of Ghana is based on the stories told by others, I was triggered to just come and get to know Ghana for myself. So I came to Ghana at Christmas and then just kept finding things that I enjoyed doing. And one thing that is really interesting about being in society here is a lot of things that people see as problems are actually opportunities from a business perspective but from a social impact perspective to resolve things that can change in our lifetime. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would agree. I think I'm in a similar situation where I hadn't spent a lot of time here yeah. before deciding to move, but I too see opportunities in those things that are challenging to us. So that's inspiring. And so you kind of hinted at what inspires you, but so what inspired you to start Solar Taxi? So I would say that It's been a progression in terms of when I first came back to Ghana, I worked for a social enterprise that looked at how we could empower women-led businesses to reach export markets. And from there, I spent a lot of time roaming Ghana in the communities. I think I've worked in every district in the country now. And as I've gone around, there were some things that really stood out for me that... I thought we could look at business models. 
So one of them was looking at why is it that most Ghanaian households could be 10 bedrooms and not have a bathroom. And then the second area that really stood out for me was the cost of doing business in Ghana is driven primarily, regardless of the area that you're in, by the cost of transporting your goods and services to market. Mm -hmm. And my like, expertise, I said what I studied was um, sustainability leadership. And that really made me think about how can you blend like environmental capital with human capital and financial capital. And so a lot of the models I've really looked at has been what is the best way to deliver value without negating the needs to improve our environmental footprint. Mm -hmm. So on the sanitation side, the toilet that we designed actually uses less water. So the average toilet uses six litres of water, ours uses two. And on the solar energy side, we really looked at, you know, there are a lot of electric vehicles that are popping up all over the world. No one's really cracked it yet. But for the light vehicles, so motorbikes, and we have these tuk-tuk three-wheelers, mm -hmm. um, and the small kind of Uber-like cars that we use here, they don't use that much energy, and we have the sun. They said that in Ghana, we only use the sun efficiently for drying our clothes. And there are so many right. other uses of it. Sure, um, yeah. And so we started a small pilot in Kumasi, just to see, could we assemble solar electric vehicles in Ghana? Mm -hmm. And then we were fortunate enough to get investment to branch out to Accra as well. Mm -hmm. And now, one of the other things we've been really focused on, and I'm really passionate about in all my models, is to make sure that these movements are not exclusive of women. Mm -hmm. So most of our solar engineers are women as well because mm -hmm. we wanted to make sure that we have a voice in this kind of e-mobility movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so now we're at a stage where we're just scaling up the different ventures on the um, sanitation side. We're now in 42 districts and on the um, e-mobility side we have around 60 vehicles on the road. Mm -hmm. So I think this has just been really interesting to build out models that can reach kind of middle to low-income consumers mm -hmm. with everyday services. Right, right. So I want to take a step back and, and understand more about this toilet situation because a 10-bedroom home or 10-room home with no toilet is unthinkable for us in the West, right? Because we have these regulations, we have, you know, it's a, we take for granted that every home, every place you go, you have a toilet. Yeah. So tell us what that experience was like and how you were able to enter the market and be successful in the market of getting people's mindsets to change around, around the use of the toilet. I think it's interesting because before I even started the business, we spoke to nearly 3,000 people across the northern regions of Ghana, because that was primarily my focus, was as a lower sanitation coverage. And we asked people, like, why is it you don't have a toilet? <laughs> Basic question. Yeah, yeah, and what really stood out for me was one, one particular lady that we met, she said, even if she had the money, where would she go to buy a toilet? Ghanaian shop in Malcolm, and Malcolm doesn't sell toilets. Mm. And so then that really stood out for me, that actually sometimes we really focus on building businesses in areas that are very niche or the business model is very sophisticated, but we're bypassing what I call like legacy businesses. Right. These are industries that it doesn't matter generationally or geographically where you go, that people will always go to the bathroom, people will always need water, mm -hmm. people will always need sanitation services. Mm -hmm. So why is it as a country we didn't even have one company that focused on that? Right. So that's really where we started was let's brand ourselves as the place to go for quality water and sanitation products. And then the second point was, 
and this is going back to how did we like embed ourselves and change mindsets of people was our name. So our name is Sama Sama. And people told us that back in the day when Ghana was clean in our heydays, we had really strong environmental officers and the environmental officers were called in Sama and Samines. Um, who could summon you to court if your house or your area was dirty. Mm -hmm. And even though at the time they were quite feared in the communities, there were an entity that was recognised and recognised for holding households to a standard of cleanliness. So we just played on that and in the north there was Sama Sama, so we just said, okay, let's just be Sama Sama 2.0, whilst mm -hmm. rather than enforcing a level of cleanliness, we're empowering a level of cleanliness. Right. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, so now I have my glocal speak question. Okay. <laughs> so this is where I ask my guests what you hear and to share a word, phrase, or saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and why or, or how you came to value this glocal speak. Ooh. <laughs> a meaningful part of my local experience. So you have a lot of locals to potentially consider, <laughs> yeah. right? It could be Kumase, it could be Tamale, it yeah. could be Accra, it could be many places. So I would say, oh, this is a really difficult one because there's so many words that come to mind. But one that always stands out for me is um, La Pieliga. Hmm. La Pieliga is Daibani for cash. Ah, okay. And it's really quite interesting because most products in the north are paid for bit by bit, mm -hmm. and what people pay for it over time. Mm -hmm. So people don't always have la pieliga all at once. La pieliga. La, la, la pieliga. La pieliga. Yeah. Ah, they don't okay. always have it all at once, uh -huh. but they need the capability to be able to pay for things over time, and that's what unlocks the market. Ah. And I think in order to be comfortable to offer products and services where people pay in installments, you have to have a trust. Yeah. And so how people invest and value and spend their money is always based on trust. And I think it's just, I just always love that word, la piel because... Um, it's a it's, it sounds yeah, beautiful, it sounds actually. Beautiful, but yeah. actually the essence of it is having the opportunity to spend in a way that suits your own way uh -huh. or your own needs. Okay in an environment that you trust the people that you're using for money. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's like, that goes back to the heydays. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we learned some Dogbani today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but excuse my accent. It's like, sure. Right, exactly. <laughs> Wait, so are you sure if you went there and said it, they would they would know what you meant? Well, but would they listen to your I accent? Say, I say it enough that I've probably created more <laughs> A little sing-song. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really interesting because when it comes to, like, English... We're used to hearing English with every accent. Yes. But when you're listening to the Ghanaian languages, it's so rare yes. without that accent to speak. Right. That sometimes it's shocking, but I think it's one thing that's now changing, especially as I said, this year of return. Right. When I first came back, it was really rare to even hear someone with an English accent speaking tree. Yes. And now, like, the Tringlish may call down the road and all that kind yes, of stuff. Yes, Tringlish. Did you, you say Tringlish? Tringlish. I yeah, love tringlish. it, Tringlish. Yeah, yeah. Ah. Right, exactly. Yeah. But you make a great point because I think that was a big barrier and continues to be to some extent yeah. to us, you know, returnees or coming back to speaking our mother tongues, right? Yeah. Because I don't speak much guy. That was part of the reason why I came. But even when I try, 
they're listening to yeah, my sure. my accents, yeah. right? And all yeah. of my friends say the same thing. It's like, oh, you don't sound right. It's just yeah. like, but people will speak your language and not sound the same. So, yeah. so let's try, you but know? I, I think this is one of those things in terms of, it's embarrassing, like as an individual, when you try and you're knocked back. Like, yes. And then I think for me, I'm the same. There's, there's been a lot of inhibitions of being able to speak tree properly. Mm-hmm. Even like I can understand when people are gossiping, I can listen, but I can't really participate. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the things that's going to stand out for me generationally is to be correct that with our kids. Right. Because um, I know that the lady that does the garden spelling bee recently was talking about her first one and her second one. First one doesn't speak the local language, mm-hmm. so she was very, very conscious of it. And her second one, and when mm-hmm. they go to family events, her second one integrates and her first one doesn't. Mm. And it's it's one of those nuances now that, especially for those of us who are returning and some right. families here, right? If we don't speak, what support can we get for our kids to speak? Exactly. You know? And I think that's yeah. a huge opportunity in the market for people who are linguists out there. Right. You know, well, it's actually difficult to find a tree teacher sure. or a guard teacher sure. who can come home if you don't speak it because people just assume that if you don't speak, you don't want your kids to speak, but that's not the case. Exactly. The well, hello. Yeah. I'll raise my hand. That's yeah. part of our, our mission. Yeah. So we'll soon have opportunities for all of us diasporans to teach their children and teach ourselves local languages. And kids, like, we have to learn. It's true. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Just that enforcement. Yeah. Today is a tree day. We're only yeah. speaking tree. Yeah. yeah exactly. Okay. That's a great point. So does your son speak? No. And I think it's interesting because... He grew up in the north, mm-hmm. so everyone was speaking Dagbani. Oh. So he could speak playground Dagbani with his friends. Okay. But at home, there was no one who spoke tree. And because I was in the north, there was no one who was like who hearing teach it. Him. Yes. So I think yes. this is one of the nuances. And even with his grandparents, mm-hmm. I've been really vexed at them because um, it was something that I didn't learn. Yes. And you can teach your grandkids. Right. But it just seems like a level of effort. And yes. this is the whole thing around immers- being immersed in a language. Mm-hmm. Which language do you naturally immerse your, your kids in? Right. It's going to be something that I think it's going to be for people who can get it where there's not a trade off. Yeah. Or their kids can learn both early enough. I always right. think that's an advantage. Right. So right. Number two will definitely learn something. Yes, <laughs> well. <laughs> Amen to that. She definitely will. Let's talk more about your work. We talked a little bit about it, but let's get a little bit more into how, because you founded companies and the background that you had that prepared you to go into these roles. Tell us a little bit more about that, how you came to bring these to fruition. I would say that I've always been interested in business, but it's taken like a long journey to actually realize that creating business models and kind of inspiring both teams and customers to embrace that vision. It's taken a while to get the right environment for that mm-hmm. and also find the right network. So when you say the right environment, meaning the right environment in Ghana? Right environment or, in Ghana mm-hmm. and right support network generally mm-hmm. to be able to allocate the time to deliver that. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that is really lovely about Ghana is it's very sociable. But the other flip side of it is you can actually waste a lot of time. Right. You know, so just yeah. getting that balance between having a good network of people who are also good mentors. Mm-hmm. When you have an idea, they can critique it, but then they can balance out, or they can give you ideas that can lift you and push you forward. Mm-hmm. And then also just having the time to be able to raise the right time of fire. Exactly. That's huge. That's huge. Yeah. So on the, the networking side, you've done something really powerful and interesting on networking. You were 
one of the first Mandela Fellows. So tell us a little bit about, about that experience and how that network assists you now and just how that really influenced the, yeah. the woman we see here today. So the Mandela Washington Fellowship was just a huge turning point for me, actually. It was in 2014, and I thought that I was going to do the fellowship and come out like with a million investors chasing me, whatever idea I threw out there, like money would bounce back. But what I actually walked away with, I would say, is more valuable in terms of it made me realize that there were so many movements across the continent mm-hmm. of young people driving real impact. We were becoming experts in their fields, not just people who talk about it at a surface level, but people who can really dig deep and unpick the core of issues. The fellowship for me also means that I can basically land in any African country and straight away have a good understanding of the economy, of the society, because they're people who I know and I trust, who are working and kind of opening doors there for themselves. I've done a lot of business across country, across African countries, and I have a personal objective now of visiting a different African country every year, Mm -hmm. which started from the fellowship. Mm -hmm. And the other thing about that has been seeing the difference between hype and impact. Right. Because that's a big thing in the kind of startup, entrepreneurial business environment that's happening today is you have a lot of companies that have had a lot of hype Mm-hmm. Um, but when you actually go behind it, they haven't got the right structures or they haven't got the right impact. And I hate to use the word shallow, but yeah. that, that's got to really, have some deep layers. Exactly, yeah. deep layers. And the fellowship for me actually introduced me to a lot of people who had the layers. Mm-hmm. And what it told me was actually at the time I needed to get away from hype, which was actually a catalyst for me to move out of the crowd and start somewhere where you could almost be big fish in a smaller pond and prove your business model in a cheap and easy and impactful way. Mm-hmm. And so I think one advice I always have for Ghanaians who want to move back is sometimes people's understanding of Ghana is Accra. Mm-hmm. We are very fortunate as a country that we have so many district capitals that are very viable markets that people have economic power to spend on quality products and services right. and they're completely being neglected when we're designing business models. And for me, that was one thing that really stood out for me was I met people in the fellowship who were in markets that we would see as like really small markets, but they've been very impactful in those spaces. Mm-hmm. And so it made me think of, let's move beyond Rakhara. Yeah, be a bigger fish, smaller pond, right? Which is totally the reverse of what we're seeing nowadays. Is that we're seeing so many young people migrating to Accra because they feel like this is the only place that they could make it. And this is great that you are a mouthpiece for you can do what you need to do where you are. All you need is to have the support. And so organizations like yours are a bit supportive, and you know we'll talk more about other ways to support young people to do something big where they are, which is very important. So just one question about the business model. So you had, you know, these regions for the toilets, but the back end of that business model is something that's actually pretty big. Yeah, Yeah, and I think it's interesting because I always say when the business model starts simple, starts small, and start from one point. Right. So sometimes you can try and do too many things. Mm-hmm. But what we started with was just to understand like what is it that people actually wanted from the quality toilet? How would they know about us, which is why we built out the brand? Mm-hmm. The 
And the next thing was, what is our customer experience? So how are they actually going to purchase it? Mm-hmm. And it really so one thing that was interesting for me was, if it's a construction product, like home improvement products, mm-hmm. typically if someone knocked on my door and said, okay, I'm here to sell a toilet, I'm here to sell a biogas digester, I would just call my dad or my uncle or my whatever, whatever. And so even the customer experience we wanted was, how can we create a product that everybody feels they have the power, the knowledge, the expertise to be able to purchase? Mm-hmm. And so we tried to move away from it being a construction product to being a, you pay a deposit, trust us to put experts on the ground to build you something that's quality and you pay over time. So that changed purchasing a toilet from a construction product to being like buying an iron. Right. And so I think that that process of being able to do asset financing mm-hmm. behind what you'd call a consumer durable actually really opened us up to a whole segment of the market that previously wasn't reachable. Mm-hmm. And this is something that a lot of people feel that, okay, if they're going to lend or have a lending model behind their products and service, they would try and have a really narrow criteria of who they would lend to. So the person has to be a salaried worker, they should be in a car, they should have right. an asset, they should have collateral, they should have guarantors. And for us, we went completely the other way around. We actually do a psychometric test with people in the rural communities so who are unbanked. Tell us what psychometric so is. Psychometric <laughs> we asked the customer about 30 questions about okay. how they perceive themselves, what are their aspirations, how do they spend their money. And what we found was actually, typically, the people who have the least amount of money, once they make the commitment to pay for something over time, are more dedicated to to upholding that commitment. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of counterintuitive of all the typical banking nuances that we saw Mm -hmm. around low-income people not being able to pay back loans or pay for things over time. What we actually found is, in the majority of places that we've sold in Ghana, low-income people are the most dedicated people to pay for things over time. And I think that's going to be such a key for so many businesses. If you find a lot of the businesses start up here focused on apps and those kind of things, but if people are moving into like more consumer durables and right. sale of more tangible items, right. they shouldn't be scared of offering. And I think this also speaks to infrastructure, you know, because we have people who are people here are willing to pay their taxes and they do pay their taxes. And this is kind of comparable to that. People pay their taxes, but they don't get what they need from it. So the government, our policymakers, this is a model that works. You just have to give something to the people and they'll willingly pay and even more. So, And I think it's interesting because our approach in the North has been households pay themselves 100%. Mm -hmm. The approach that the government went into in the South was they would subsidize 70%. Mm-hmm. Because there's this perception that people don't want to pay, can't afford to pay. Mm-hmm. But what we realized was if the product is quality and it matches value, mm-hmm. so it's not too expensive, or you're not paying more than the value of what you're getting, right. that's when people comfortably will make the commitment to pay. Yeah. And that's such an important thing when we use a human-centered design a lot when we're designing products and services. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times people sit in a room and think, this is what the market wants. And I'm always a big advocate of build a minimally viable product, take it to market, and let the market speak for itself. Right. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Smart words. <laughs> Which leads me to our mindset hack. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so what is your favorite or innovative mindset hack that you can imagine or that you know of? Mindset hack. Can you give me an example? So a mindset hack is like a way that you kind of hack into the minds of others to get them to change behavior, think differently, be 
more empowered, something yeah. like that. This is interesting because I'm a big believer that you can't force somebody to do something. Mm-hmm. So how I set up most of my teams and the people that I work with is around balancing their agency in terms of control mm-hmm. against their skills. Mm-hmm. So it's always been really important to understand, for me, where is someone's current skill level and where is their aspiration? Where would they like to be? Mm-hmm. And what is the current tasks and task in hand and where is it that would like them to grow? And so I'm very big on setting kind of targets and kind of KPIs. My KPIs normally focus on one that focuses on something I know you can deliver today and one that focuses on something that's a stretch that would be something that you have to work towards. And this is something that I would say a lot of the times within our society, we are often scared to stretch. Mm-hmm. And so as a like, boss or leader of an organization, I try as much as possible not to focus on today and to step into the spaces where, how can I help you to stretch yourself? Mm-hmm. So what you find is when you're always having those conversations with people about their progression, they become more loyal about delivering the things that they know as the standard that they're expecting them today. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say it's necessarily a mindset hack, but I would definitely say that it's a, a style of leadership and engagement with people that I always feel that if you're helping people to invest in where they're moving to, then you need to worry less about what they're doing today because it becomes part of the commitment that they make to you. Right. That's, that is kind of a mindset for leaders. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, thank you for that. That's wonderful. So we're getting to the close of our conversation today. So I want to ask you a question just to mix it up a little. This is a good one. At different stages of your life, what prepared you to successfully transition to the next phase? I would say every transition has been a hurricane, so... <laughs> <laughs> the storm. I would definitely say it's my family. Ah, okay. Um, I am very blessed to have very open and supportive parents. Parents that you can bounce ideas around, parents you can have opinions with. Mm-hmm. And I would say that that's helped at every stage that I've transitioned. Mm-hmm. Not that I've needed approval, but to know that once I've made a definitive decision to take my life in a direction that I would have an ecosystem of support around me. And mm-hmm. I would say that ecosystem has grown. When I say parents, I don't just mean my mom and dad. I have aunties and uncles who have that mindset that's progressive. And I think this is something that generationally, I hope that I can also pass on to right. other up-and-coming young Ghanaians yeah. to feel comfortable to grow and be themselves. Right. We are <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, excellent. Thank you, thank yeah. you, thank you so much. So before we go, do you have yeah. any closing thoughts that you'd like to share with our yeah. listeners? I would just say that for me, there's no place like home, but home is also where you make it. Yeah. So I think that Ghana is not an easy place that you would just land tomorrow and everything will be laid out for you. But it's a place you can do something meaningful. Mm-hmm. And so I always encourage people if they are thinking of moving back or they've already moved back, keep doing the things at the standard that you would like them to be done. Find a good network of people who lift you Mm -hmm. because there will always be days that you need that support. Mm -hmm. And don't be scared to move out of Accra. 
Yeah. Ghana is a big place. Right. You know, we've yeah. got 16 regions now. Yeah. A lot of languages, a lot of cultures, but a lot of markets. And right. And all that shows is business opportunity. Absolutely. Yes. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us on Global Citizens. You can find us anytime at globalcitizenspod.com or wherever you find your podcasts. Bye for now. <laughs>